Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance his kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. So this morning we are going to look at chapter 3 of the book of Colossians and I'm going to probably go through a little more than half of it as I started looking through the content. Um, the, all of these scriptures have the potential to possibly maybe bust you up a little bit. As I was going through it, I said, wow, it focuses on, on this and then it focuses on that. It gives you a whole list of what God wants and what God is against. And some of these are hard things to look at. But I wanted to make sure that we had time to look at them, apply them, and adjust. Right? And, you know, how many of you know if you have too many goals... You won't accomplish any of them, right? You know, if you have too many things you're trying to change all at one time, it's often hard to change. But what we're going to do, we're going to look at the first half of this and, and really try to just digest it, chew on it, allow the Word of God to do what it does and change me and you. Yes, Pastor, too, right? You know, that this Word of God will change all of us. Um, so know that the theme verse of this whole book of Colossians is that Jesus is enough, you know, it's super cool, even through the worship, that we're talking about Jesus, we're focusing on Jesus, and even the book of Colossians focuses on Jesus being the core of everything, that we don't have to add to Jesus or we don't take away from Jesus, that Jesus, in the essence of who he was, was more than enough. Amen? It's not you saving yourself, it's him dying on a cross that saved you. It's his work on the cross. It wasn't my good days that earned my way to heaven, but it's in Jesus, in Christ alone, that that happens. So when we look at this chapter 3, the, the book of Colossians, it can be broken down into two main parts. So the first part is rules for holy living is the best way to explain it. And then the second half is, is the rules and the guidelines for Christian households. Now, I, I wanted to separate those two because I want to look at the rules for holy living. And then next week, we're going to look at um, the remaining part of chapter 3, and we're going to conclude with chapter 4. We're going to mosh posh those together and going to complete that. Um, but it's important to know what the rules for Christian living are because if I bring that into a Christian household, it's good that I have both sides covered, okay? So as we begin to look at this text, I want you to think about something before we jump into this passage of Scripture, but I want you to think about the word rules. When I say the word rules, how many of you think of something negative? Lion, right? When you think of rules, how many of you love rules? You follow the rules, you like the rules. i got a few of those that say, yeah, give me a rule, I'll follow it. Okay, so, so I want to get on the same page when we think about the word rules in Scripture that we're kind of on the same page in regards to what God was thinking when he established rules. So we have to know the character of God. We have to know that God is not a mean, cruel God out to get you. That's not his motive. That's not his heart. Um, if you have children, you know, you have rules in place. But how many of you know that your heart towards your children is for their, their well-being? It's to cause them and hopefully push them and guide them or protect them to live a long life and not to make stupid decisions, right? And how many of you know sometimes we don't know any better and then the rule helps us make the right decision? You know, I've seen that, you know, as parenting my children, like I have to tell them what to do. I need to teach them what to do. I need to, I need to not assume that they know what to do. So rules have, are a good tool that God will use to get the right results, and we don't always know the benefit of a rule or the consequence of a rule until it's either honored or broken. 
You ever broke a rule and it cost you? You ever had a speeding ticket and you had to pay for it? Break a rule, there's consequences, right? How many of you knew the speed limit? How many of you knew you were living on the wild side? Five miles won't hurt. Ah, 10 miles won't hurt. Ah, 15. 20. You want to go to jail, right? Go too fast. They'll slow your butt down. Right? You know, so those guys, those, and, and they are not suggestions. They are laws. Okay? You break a law. You break a rule. You suffer the consequences. You obey the law or you obey the rules. You're never going to get pulled over for obeying the rules. Realize that? If you've got a lot of tickets, you've got to learn that. I know when I had two, man, I had, I go way, way back. It's been a long time. But I had two tickets like in two weeks. Hey, that slowed my butt down. I was like, it ain't worth it. Like, it got expensive. First one was like, that cop shouldn't have pulled me over. You know how we are. Like, I wasn't going that fast. Everybody else was going faster. But guess what? You got caught. Blame it on whatever, but you were breaking the rules. Tell you what, when it happened, and so actually the first one, I think it was a warning. Second one, I got a full-blown ticket. And I take that ticket to my parents and say, huh, you're going to pay for that. Like, they made me pay for it. It wasn't worth the speeding. Slowed down, right? So these rules are written because uh, God loves you. And he wants to set an expectation and a, stand, and a standard to keep you safe and for you to live the best life possible. The best life possible. How many of you know that you have had consequences in your life because of dumb decisions? Some are shaking their heads. Some are like, man, if you only knew, Pastor. Right? We've all done it. But let me tell you what. When there's a rule in place that guides us how, what to do or what not to do, we should pay attention to that because that's going to take all the thinking out of it. We're not going to compromise it if we believe it as absolute truth and we don't change the standard of God to the standard of man. That's where we mess up. Well, everybody else, I don't care about everybody else. That's what God tells you as a Christian today. I don't care about everybody else. Either you're going to uphold the standards that I put in Scripture or you're going to compromise them like all the culture around you. And it, what you don't realize is right now we are living in a Western culture that has modified, compromised, and completely thrown out all of the standards of Scripture because whatever you think, go with. They have made themselves God versus choosing to trust God's word. So when we look at scripture and we look at the rules, we need to know God knows best. And we don't know that till we are a benefactor or we are blessed because of the rules. But I hope today, if you will think back just for a moment, when you broke the rules, how did it work out for you? When you obeyed the rules, sometimes you don't see the consequences, but that's a good thing because consequences usually lead to bad things. But God loves you. He wants you to live the best life possible. So the life that God wants you to live is based on demands of Scripture, and they have to be met. Many people want the blessings of following God without the actual following, and it just doesn't work like that. Well, why is God not blessing me? And one of my things is like, you don't go to church? And like, I know God still gives me good things even when I don't deserve it, but guess what? At least I'm trying. You know, sometimes people want all the benefits of God, but they don't know God. So think about it in a household just real quick, and then we'll look at this text. My son, my daughters will benefit from me as their father when they stay in my household. I tease them every now and then, hey, you going to pay for that drink? We talking about that. You got it, right? All of their needs are met. Every now and then I'll have to borrow five bucks, and they've been willing lately. Man, I need five bucks. Who's got five bucks? One of my kids. 
pay me back, Dad, right? Oh, we're playing that game, right? You know how it is. When my children are in my household, they reap all the benefits from me as their father. They don't worry about filling up the tank. They don't worry about electric bills. They don't worry about any of that. It's all taken care of. But if they are not in my house, not saying I don't care about them, not saying I don't love them, but they do not reap the same benefits of staying close to the Father. So you have to realize that. And most of the time when we break the rules, guess what? We don't want to be anywhere around Daddy God because we're guilty. We violated Scripture, and it distances us from God. Okay? You, do you realize that sin does not bother God near as much as it bothers you? It does not knock him off of his throne. He, it's not that he does not know how to handle it, but he wants you to respond in a way that you draw back to him. I want to brace you because we're about to go through a hard list of a lot of things, and I don't want you to feel like, man, this God guy, I thought he was nice. Like, you know, I want you to, to before we start, know that every single one of these standards is because God loves you, and he cares for you, and he wants his best for your life. Everybody, I need to convince anybody else anymore. You got that. All right. Got it. All right. So Matthew 16, 25 through 27, it says, so whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good would it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person. Now we want to stop there, but the rest of that says, according to what they have done. So realize what we do matters. We will be judged according to what we have done or what we have not done. Some people think, well, pretend I don't know that, so I'm going to live in ignorance. right? How many of you know ignorance is a real thing? Sometimes we don't know what the standard is. But after I talk about all of these topics today, you will know God's standard. Then it will be up to you to be obedient or to be disobedient. Ignorance is a real thing. Like I remember <laughs> I started really, really reading my Bible as I was younger. There were some times I'd read, I was like, ooh, I didn't know that was in there. You ever had one of those moments? And then you got to come to Jesus' moment and say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I didn't even know I was sinning. But once you understand what Scripture says and what the requirement is, then it's up to you to choose to obey it. But more than just obeying it, it's up to you to surrender those areas of error to God so that he might work righteousness in you. Remember, it's all Jesus. No more, no less. I can't do it on my own. God has to work in my heart. Okay, so we're going to jump into this passage, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. And I'm going to read part of it, and then we'll break it down, and then we'll read part of it, and we'll keep breaking it down. But in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, in verse 1, it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears... Then you will also appear with him in glory. So it starts right out. Since you have already. Now, this is for believers. This is for Christians. These are those who commit their lives to Christ. Since you've already done this and you've died with Christ, set your hearts on, you know, and it's in other translations, it says, set your affections, set your mind, set your sight, seek after as an endeavor those, those things that are, that are in Christ. So the realities of heaven, we have to focus because it says focus on the, the Christ which is seated at the right hand of God. So think about things that are above. So what is this talking about? It is saying focus on the realities of heaven where Jesus sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. You have to realize this is a reality. 
Even if you don't think it's real, it is a reality that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. We have to think of an eternal, a forever kingdom. Because if you believe that after this life I just die and then nothing happens, why should I think about a heavenly kingdom? Why should I believe that there's life after death? Now, I'll tell you what, if you have that worldview, because it is a worldview, then some people think, well, you just live life and then you die and then that's it. Why would God spend so much time talking about a, an earth, a heavenly kingdom and coming back for a people and creating and preparing a place for people to go to if it wasn't real? Sure is wasting a lot of text in Scripture. So we have to realize that heaven is real. Jesus is real. He's sitting at the right hand of God. And then it says, set your minds. What is this talking about? What do you think about? What are, you, what are you focusing your thoughts on? How many of you have a hard time focusing on stuff? Right? You know, you're trying to focus on something, you're completely distracted. Um, now, I'll tell you what. One thing is try to remove as many distractions as possible when you're trying to focus on something important. So, Pastor Noe, when I have pre-service prayer, I take off my watch, I leave my phone. All I take into that prayer room is this. Because you know what? This thing can't ding, ching, bing, or nothing. Right? All I can do is read it, I can underline it, and I can look at it. It's not going to distract me from what I'm doing. Now, our phones, technology, it's a great thing, but it can be very, very distractive. How many of you will be deep in that moment of morning devotion, revelation? Oh, thank you, Lord. Bling! Hey, da-da-da-da-da. You don't remember what you just read. And whatever quiet time or whatever moment you had was distracted. And I think that as a culture, we have a hard time setting our minds on many things, not just one thing. So we have to make sure that when we set our minds, we, we also guard ourselves from those things that we don't want to be distracted with, but we want to focus our minds on what we need to focus on. So think about a kingdom to come, not just the present kingdom. How many of you know that most of our thoughts are wrapped around the present kingdom? How many of you are hungry right now? Now y'all think about lunch. Present kingdom. Man, I wonder how long he's going to preach. Present kingdom. Man, i got to get home, all this rain, da-da-da-da. Present kingdom, right? We have to focus not on this kingdom, but the kingdom to come, is what he's talking about in Scripture. The new reality that we have in Christ, that our exalted position in Christ is not a hypothetical thing. I think we have to realize that this is our new reality when we come to know Jesus, that we are exalted to this high position with Christ, and our goal is to strive to understand that. And this isn't something that we just have to believe. We have to realize that this is an accomplished fact, that we are raised to life in Jesus. Think about the heavenly kingdom. Set your mind on these things. Since you're a Christian and you've been raised with Christ, amen? Should change the way we think. Let's keep moving in Colossians 3, 5 through 7. It says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the earthly nature. So, so this passage now is going to start helping us kind of clean the thoughts, clean our minds, clean our lives up. And, and so it's going to go through what we need to remove and what we need to replace it with. So here's the list. I didn't make it up. I'm not pointing anybody out. If I say one of these topics and you get offended, maybe God wants to do work in that area this morning. I'm just telling you, if you're like, ooh, uh, uh, restroom, don't get up right away because we'll know it's you, okay? <laughs> Chill out for a little while, okay? <laughs> so here's what it says. It says this, the earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, 
evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And then verse 6, it says, Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You, use, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. You used to. So what's the problem when we still do? What's the problem when we still deal with these things? We have to begin to separate. But what does it say? Not just separate. What is the wordage it uses? Put to death. How many of you know death is a gruesome, ugly thing? It really is. Some of you, I don't like to think about that. Put to death, it requires work. It requires something of you. You can't say, well, you know, I'm just going to take it easy. Maybe it'll just go away. You've got to beat it with a bat. You've got to separate it from you. You've got to put some intensity to work and to put it to death. It's not going to be idle. It's not going to be complacent. You're like, well, you know, pastor, it's just one of those things. No, you need to beat it with every ounce of your life to separate it from yourself. Put it to death. And it says, because of these things, punishment or the wrath of God is coming. Now, I believe Paul gives us the list so that he can be very intentional with what he's saying. So I'm going to break down some of these topics real quick for you. So sexual immorality. I know a lot of us don't like to talk about it. Well, Pastor, it gets me real uncomfortable. Guess what? We need to talk about it. We need to focus on these topics. We need to focus on what does it mean. So sexual immorality is any sexual intimacy outside the covenant of marriage. Now, notice I said sexual intimacy outside of marriage. It's not just having sex. There's a lot of things that you can do that's not sex that still violates this requirement. But we didn't have sex. We didn't get pregnant. Did you break God's standard? So... What is the standard? It should be only what is acceptable in the covenant of marriage that you give no one else. Now, some of y'all are in a bind because you're like, oh, now I know. Hey, guess what? From this moment forward, you got a clean slate. God will no longer hold you accountable if you plead the blood of Jesus over and you ask for forgiveness and you go and sin no more. There's one thing about coming to our senses, but sometimes we don't realize that what we were doing was a complete violation to God. Now, how many of you know when those boundaries are crossed, it will lead to consequences? Been there, done that? Yeah, it will. will, When we violate those rules, it will cause consequences. More than likely, negative ones if you violate that one. But it's any sexual intimacy outside the covenant of marriage, a behavior that is contrary to what is acceptable in the Bible. You know the Bible talks a lot about sex? You're like, really? I'll show you. I'll give you some scriptures. You're like, man, I'd have read it. Come on. There's, there's a, lot of, a lot of scriptures in there that talk about it. Samuel, I'm sorry this is your first Sunday, son. You can talk to me about whatever you want to talk about later. I can't shrink back. Okay. All right. So 1 Corinthians 16.8, it says, flee, um, flee from sexual immorality. Flee means to take flight or to escape. Run for your life. Right? If a lady's chasing you, run. If a man's chasing you, run. Get out of the situation. You know better. They might not. You're supposed to be the Christian in the equation, right? We're supposed to be thinking differently. We should be putting to death these things, not willfully being led to the slaughter by these things. We put them to death. They don't put us to death. Because that's what will happen when you violate these. And you continue down the road that God does not want you to go down. Okay? So it says flee. It says all other sins a person commits outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. 
Okay, I'm not going to read this one to you, but Leviticus 18, just jot it down. You can look at all of the forbidden sexual relations according to Scripture. You're welcome, parents. When you read that, you'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's pretty good list, okay? So also, honoring the marriage covenant once you're married. So I want to go to the other side of it, too. Before marriage, let me tell you this. Let me tell you the secret of the enemy. Before you're married... The devil tries everything he can to get you in the bed. Once you become married, you know what he does? He tries to keep you all out of the bed. All the married people say, man, you know what? I never thought about it like that. Because he wants those relationships to stay broken. He wants to keep the, 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 the strife and the sin, and he wants to keep the, the marriage covenant broken. And he wants it to be fractured before it happens. That's his plan. So we have to be very careful. Anything in regards to sexual immorality, we got to remove it. But so we got to honor it before we're married. But then when we're married, husbands, wives, we got to honor that. What you look at, who you spend time with, all of it. You know what I'm talking about. If you need clarification, come talk to me after, right? Because we want to keep this okay or mixed company, okay? But you know, you, you know what's up, right? Right? What honors God. All right, so impurity. So that is anything that contaminates that which God has purified in Christ. So when we come to Christ, everything is made pure. Everything is right. And it says in James uh, or Matthew 26, 41, it says, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We have to pray. We have to strengthen our spirit man on the inside. In James 1.27, it says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's what God wants. You realize you can be polluted by the world, by what you're around and what you watch and what you listen to. And you know All the newest Netflix videos are not for your benefit to always watch. Hey, I saw this new season just came out with whatever. It is a great show. I've watched shows sometimes or started watching shows. Oh, never mind. It's not always right for me to walk a life of purity because I have a different tolerance than the world. Now, if we're recommending and we're referring movies that are not God-honoring, we need to evaluate that in the life of the church. You know, there's a lot of alternatives. You know, we got pure flicks at the house. It ain't always great. And it's like, oh, these are fun movies. But guess what? It keeps the house pure. It guards our kids. It guards ourselves. How many of you think when you're a full-grown adult, now you're entitled to watch whatever you want? Devil lied. God still wants purity. He still wants holiness. So to live a life of impurity is anything that contaminates that which God has purified in Christ. And guess what? You are the temple of the living God. The Spirit of God lives inside of you. And under the blood, you're made pure. What does that scripture say? This is God's plan for you to keep yourself from being polluted by the world. Can't always control where you're at and where you're going, but you should be able to control what's in your home. All right? Let that marinate just for a minute, okay? Number three, lust. So this is sinful longing, uh, the inward sin that actually leads to falling away from God. Romans 1, 26 through 27, it says, Because of this, God gave them over to their shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for this error. Now, if we look at culture, that is the exact definition of what our culture looks like right now. 
and that is full-fledged lust without boundaries, without any, no, that's not right. Because God knows it's going to happen, but that comes from the spirit of lust. To, to do what you want and what feels good to you rather than what God expects in his standard in Scripture. So lust always breeds more lust. You know, you can't just say, well, you know, I'm just going to dabble a little bit and then I'll, then I'll just be able to break free of it. Lust will always breed to more lust. You have to completely break it off. You have to sever it. You got to run for your life. Cold turkey, whatever you want to call it, you got to just stop. You got to put boundaries. You got to remove it. You got to get it out of your home. You got to get accountability, whatever it takes, but you got to just stop. You keep dabbling with lust and it will continue to grow and grow and grow in your life. Okay? That's just how it works. So um, you dabble with just a little bit and it'll leave you longing for more. James 1.15, it says, Then after their desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And then sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. That's what will happen in your life if you dabble with lust. Evil desires, so desiring something that belongs to someone else. We know, we know that the Ten Commandments, it says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male or female servants or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Exodus twenty seventeen. You shall not covet that which is someone else's. That's okay to say, man, that's a nice boat. That's cool, man. God's blessed. But it's like, no, I want that boat. Right? I mean, I want a boat, but I don't want a boat that bad. Like, I'd be smart about it. Hey, man, can we go for a ride in that boat? <laughs> Better for you to maintain the boat than for me because boats aren't good ideas for, you know. But whatever it is that we don't covet that in a way where, where I want that, I need that, we keep our eyes focused on what we have and learn to be content with that. What about greed? It says greed, which is idolatry. Now, this one kind of caught me a little bit different. because It says greed, which is idolatry. So the root of greed is contrary to the purposes of God. Okay, so this will lead to objects of worship, natural or manufactured, or anything that will cause us to receive our worship. Greed is an ugly, gnarly thing, but it causes us to fall in love with things that we should never fall in love with. A longing for more, wanting more, desiring more. And then it closes that section, says that because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in your previous life. So these things, they should have changed as you walk out your relationship with Christ. Let you marinate on that just for a minute. It's a hard list. How many of you are still alive and kicking? Just a little bit. Right? I'm telling you, there's one on that list that you didn't guard and you're going to have to guard for the rest of your life. A vulnerable area. But by the grace of God, you can do it. All right? So Colossians 3, 8 through 11. The list continues. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things such as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Verse 9, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Shenanthian, uh, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So it says rid yourself. So th this is kind of the same thing. Put to death, rid yourself. He was serious 
about these things. He says, don't play with them. You'll get burned. Don't keep them near to you. They'll cause harm to you. But anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. So anger, rage, and malice, this is how you act. Think about it. Anger and rage. You usually see those things, right? It's a response to something, you know. You're going to see it. It's going to be expressive. Malice is actually, I looked at it, I was like, so what would the word malice? It, and it, the definition it gave me of malice is badness in quality. Full of badness, full of ugliness internal, internally. So anger, rage, and malice. Then it says slander and filthy language. So the first three focus on how you act, but the other two focus on what you say. I've never heard somebody slander someone silently. If you have, I don't know how you do that, right? Slander usually is words, accusations, words to cut, to, to tear down, words of destruction. And then filthy language, of course, you know, um, is something we say. It's something that comes out of our, our mouths. But, but filthy language, it's not just curse words. Don't stop there, but it's also the topics of discussion, what you talk about, well, I didn't cuss when I said it, but what you talked about may not have honored God. Filthy language, things you ought not be saying, things that you should be guarding your mouth from. Psalms fifty nineteen it says, you use your mouth for evil and harness your tongue to deceit. And that word deceit actually is the same word for malice. That's what is, you know, and the scripture is always right, right? You know, we use our tongue for these things and we ought not do that. That passage talks about the old self versus the new self. The new self is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Philippians 1.6, one of my favorite passages because I cling to it and I hope for it for a lifetime. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in me will bring it on to completion until the day that God comes back in Christ Jesus. That we're continually at work becoming more and more like Christ. The old self is dying and the new self is becoming uh, more and more like the image of Jesus. Verse 8, it says, we are all made united in Christ. We are one church and one body. We're no longer separated. Because it was talking about Gentiles and Jews and these were the separation of churches. You know, different saying, well, you know, well, we're Jews and they're Gentiles. Jesus said, I'm combining all of these things. There's no longer going to be a separation. It didn't matter if you were circumcised or uncircumcised or of this body or this body, um, slave or free, but he was combining these things. The consistent thread of what he was wanting to do was Jesus was going to unite it all. It was all going to be combined under Jesus. Acts 4.12, it says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which man can be saved. So it is in Christ it is all Christ, no more and no less. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. All right, so now it shifts gears just a little bit. It says, therefore, as Christ's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself. And here's the other list. We, so we figured out what we should be taking off, what we should, we should be putting to death, what we should be separating. But now this is what you should clothe yourself with. It says, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has any grievances against someone. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Therefore, it says, now that you are God's, and this is who you've been called to be, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself. Did this coat just jump on my shoulders today? And it just jumped on. And No, I had to willfully 
put one arm in, throw it over my shoulder, put the other arm in. It took work. It did not just, it didn't drape on me. It, I didn't just carry it. To put it on requires some work. Amen? Requires something of me. So it says, put on, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. It says, bear with each other. Forgive one another if you have any grievances against someone. Now, it does talk about of all these virtues put on love. Because if you're not clothing all of these in love, you will never accomplish compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You have to allow love to be the framework for which all those other ones are built. How about bear with each other? You ever had somebody that's been hard to bear with? Don't nudge your spouse. What? Some of y'all want to maybe. Right? Somebody that's hard to bear with. You know, I am a people person, and I would say it's been less than two or three people in my lifetime. That's it. That I'm just like, man, and I'm straight up, but them people needed Jesus. Like, it wasn't Christian people, right? It wasn't church people. It was people that I was just like, now, they were saying, I'm a Christian. I was like, I'm not seeing it. <laughs> God, man. Lord Jesus, forgive that person. Lord, allow, you know... Uh, I was, I was talking to, to Becky because we were talking about school and all the kids going back to school. And I was talking about a teacher when I was younger. She was yelling all kinds at everybody else, yelling, yelling, yelling. And she's like, y'all just don't even, da, da, da. I mean, just going off. And I'm sitting there like, man, who's this lady talking to? I ain't a bad kid. And then that lady got the papers and chunked them on my desk. So, oh, really? And I was telling Becky about this story. I said, yeah. I said, and at that moment, I didn't care about the class. I didn't care what the teacher said. Man, lost all disrespect. And Becky's like, man, it's time to forgive that teacher. She saw something, and I said, I don't remember the teacher. I don't remember her name. I kind of remember the situation, but I was so frustrated with it, I blocked it out. That's how I dealt with frustration and things in my past. Like, I really have to go back. Like, I'd have to probably pull out a yearbook and be like, oh, that was her. Like, probably. But guess what? When I realized something that still frustrates me, and how many of you are like, that's petty. What do you got in your life that's petty? Right? But it's those things, once they're revealed, we say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive her. She was having a bad day. I mean, I understand now that I'm a parent. At the, at the time, I didn't understand that. We've got to be quick to forgive, but bearing with those that are hard to love sometimes. And why do we love them? Because God loves them. Right? Doesn't, it doesn't depend on them. It depends on you. But love releases that compassion. Love releases kindness. It releases humility. It releases gentleness and patience. Without love, it's impossible to stay consistently clothed with these other virtues. How do we learn that love? We learn the love of Jesus. All right? But love keeps you in perfect unity. Colossians 3, 15 through 17. So the last passages we'll look at this morning, but it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach, admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. And verse 17, And whatever you do, whether it in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So first and foremost, it says, Let the peace of Christ rule. Not your peace, Christ's peace. We're going to lose our peace really quickly, but the peace of God is more than enough for every situation. It says, you are called as members of one body to peace. So when we look at the body of Christ, it should, for the most part, be a place of peace, not strife and frustration and irritation. 
You took my seat. You drank the last cup of coffee. Hey, you didn't restock the cups. What are you doing? Like, come on. Live at peace. Don't worry about it. Hey, you can have the last cup of coffee. Hey, you can have my seat. Hey, I'm so glad you're here. Right? Living at peace. Right? We all have bad days, but we got to allow the peace of Jesus to cover us. Anything that breaks the spirit of peace, we need to stay away from it. So I'm going to give you a quick of my own list. Gossip, lies, arguments, judgments, etc. You know, well, I heard this person. Come on. Think that's edifying and keeping peace and unity? No, it's, it's severing it. So be careful what we communicate. Lies and go to the source. If somebody says, well, pastor, somebody said that you said, come talk to me. I'll either be like, yep, that's what I said. Or no, I didn't say that, right? Yeah, I'm not going to lie to you about it. Go to the source, all right? And then it says, oh, and be thankful, right? So if you're having a bad day, still be thankful. At least you get to come to church where they have coffee and they got good, nice, comfy seats. There's always another seat to sit in, right? Whatever it is, because most of the times the things that steal our peace, they're petty little things. But in the moment, we felt like it was a big thing. So allow that peace to cover you. It says, let the message of Christ dwell among you as you teach, admonish um, each other. So teaching, it kind of looks like what we're doing this morning and life groups and growth track, all of those things to teach. And it says admonish. The word admonish means to, to, uh, to caution, to rebuke, or correct. But it says to do so with all wisdom. With wisdom, not ignorance, right? Make sure you've really, really prayed about something before you just correct or rebuke somebody. Make sure your heart's right, make sure it's accurate, and make sure you know what in the world you're talking about. And I hope you have a scripture to back it up. All right? I want to make sure that that's happening. But it says, as you do this, do this through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit. So a psalm is a poem sung to music. A hymn is a song of praise directly addressed to God. And songs from the Spirit are just that. They are songs that are spirit-released from the inside out. It says, sing to God with gratitude in your heart. Sing songs of thankfulness. And then that last part, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord, to the Lord, <laughs> Lord, Lord. <laughs> Man, if you're still sleeping, come on. <laughs> Replace the word Lord for Lord every time. All right. Lord Jesus, help me. Sorry. All right. It says in word and deed. So word is what I say with my mouth. The words of my mouth, that they glorify God, that when I'm speaking, do you realize God can hear everything you say? Even when you're like under your breath. Yeah, he can hear those things. So honor God with your words. What about deeds? That's the work or that's the acts that you do. It says work as unto the Lord. And do you realize that changes all the work ethic? It doesn't matter how crappy of a job that you have. If you're working as unto the Lord, you can still work with excellence. Because your testimony matters. Well, you don't understand my job. I don't don't need to understand your job. I understand God and the standard and what he said do. He said work as unto the Lord. That's what he says. Well, you don't understand. You need to marinate on that scripture just a little bit more doesn't matter where we work. It matters how we work because it's who we work for, okay? So I want to end today by reminding you and also helping you that I know that this list and this passage, some of this passage, you may feel a little overwhelmed this morning. Say, man, Pastor, like, I'm glad you moved on and you said dumb words so I could laugh and get away from the hard topic stuff. But I want you to go back and I want you to realize that in order for us to accomplish what this passage demands of us uh, and, and the heartbeat of this passage is only going to be possible through Jesus. 
can't do it within your own strength. But how many of you know you can make choices today to redirect the course of your future? Can you stand up with me? The choice that you make today, you may say, man, Pastor, that was a good message. But I hope that this message is, is cultivating change in your life. That you're looking at your life and you're saying, man, this area, Lord, this area, Lord, I need help with. It requires you to acknowledge it. It, it requires you to ask for forgiveness from it. How many of you believe the lie? I feel like that some say, well, God knows and he forgives me already, so I ain't got to do anything. Come on. God forgave you while you were still yet sinners, but you still needed salvation. Well, he loves me. He forgave me. You have, to, you have to do something. You have to accept that free gift. You have to ask for forgiveness. It just doesn't. You ever been in a fight with your wife? Somebody's got to apologize or it ain't going away. Say like, well, she'll get over it. Well, he'll get over it. Boom. Come on, man. He's still at war. Somebody's got to apologize, and then hopefully the other one responds in love. Well, I said I'm sorry. Well, guess what? Anytime we apologize to God, he's always going to be gracious back to us. He's not going to say, well, about time. Like, or he's not going to be rude. He's going to say, son. He's going to say, son and daughter, welcome home. Because what was broken, what was lost, what severed that relationship is made new again. And that's the hope we have in Jesus. I want to end on a happy note. This isn't like a doom and gloom message. Whatever is on this list, it's not too big for God. You can receive forgiveness from all sin. Everything you've done. And approach God's throne of grace with confidence. To redirect the course of your life. But there has to be a surrender. There has to be a dependence on Jesus' work in you. Don't just try to be good enough. You actually can't be good enough. But the good news is Jesus did what it took, even to the point of death, so that we could be made righteous. Jesus actually did the work that we could never do. So today I just want to encourage you to say, Jesus, change me. Close your eyes just for a minute. Say, Lord, change me. You know, the things in my heart that don't please you. The areas that I need to work out. Father, you know my hidden sins <laughs> that nobody knows about. And today I need your forgiveness. I repent. That repent means actually to change the way you think, turn around and go completely the other direction. Father, we choose to repent for those things, God that your word forbids. Can you say these words? Jesus, help me. Say it one more time. Say, Jesus, help me. All you need is Jesus, no more and no less. Jesus is more than enough for us. Lord, I thank you for your presence in this place. Holy Spirit, I ask for you to do the work that only you can do, that you can take our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. Father, I pray that all of the remnants of the old man would die. All of the webs, all of those things that just seem to not go away, Father, that you would clean the temple of our lives from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. 
Father, that you would continually purify us. Father, but that you would teach us how to guard our lives in a way that would keep us pure and holy before you. Father, forgive us for choosing what is contrary to the Spirit. Because there are times we struggle in the flesh. But Father, I pray that today that our spirit man would be increased and our flesh would decrease. Father, I thank you for the work that you're doing in and through us. Father, take our lives and they're yours. Every part of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I got prayer teams available for you this morning. Real quick, before I release you, the final principles of this passage. Number one, set your heart and your mind and your thinking on kingdom things. Number two, put to death or kill the earthly nature and rid yourself of the old things from your old self. The new self grows when we grow in the knowledge of Jesus. It says, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, gentleness, and peace. Get along with everyone and be quick to forgive. Put on love every single day of your life. Let Christ's peace rule in you. And then in everything you do, do it as unto the Lord. Everything. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.